And now it's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning, and welcome welcome. to We Are Just Christians. Really glad you tuned into the show today. Hope you can stay with us for the next hour. We'll be on till 10 o'clock here, Eastern Time. And we'd like to have your participation in the show, not only by listening, but we'd like you to give us a call and join the show. This is a live call-in show, so I'm going to give you the numbers in just a moment to to, um, to reach us here on We Are Just Christians. And as I said, we'd, we'd just love to have you uh, call in, ask a question, make a comment, uh, participate in the show in some way. So you can reach us here at 772 772- Three four zero one five nine zero seven seven two three four zero one five nine zero is the number, and we'd love to have you join the show. Hope that uh, you're having a good morning this morning, and you know surviving these this wet. I don't know how where it came from, Gary. I was very surprised. Well, well there's a cold front, the cold front cold moving front. in from yeah, that that storm in the middle of it. I wasn't seeing that, but uh, you know, I was telling my wife on the way over here this morning. You never know on a day like this whether it's going to increase the number of people that come to services or to worship or whether it's going to decrease them. And uh, it's hard to say. I hate to say it, but some people, if it's not sunny, they might say, well, maybe I just go to church this morning because I can't go to the beach. You know, that kind of thing. It's kind of sad, isn't or it? Or I can't go run or whatever. It can't go run or whatever the case may be. And other people are going to brave the weather no matter what the weather is, they're going to uh, be out and they're going to be worshiping God. So that's the way that it works. I, you never know. And I kind of tried to quit guessing on that because you just can't predict it. I know when we were uh, and it's uh, usually it's an odd thing when I was working in the restaurant uh, when I was a teenager. If it was ra- if it started raining when people were out shopping. We got slammed with people. Middle of the day, it just kind of started raining. We would get a lot of people in there. We had to prepare for that. But if it had been raining most of the morning during the day, nobody. They didn't get out. They didn't get out of the house. But otherwise, if they're out and it starts raining, they go and get a cup of coffee or go, well, we'll go get some lunch till this passes. And I'm wondering if some with some people, their their allegiance to worship is about that way. You know, depending on what else they got going on, I wish it weren't so. Can I tell you a story about my dad? Yeah. Basically, back in southwest Arkansas, we didn't get a snow in the wintertime, but about every five or six years. And we were home after Sharon and I became Christians. And it was a Sunday and uh, it snowed that that night about six inches and the people in the northeast will never understand this but that completely shut down all the traffic in southwest arkansas because <laughs> there there are no snow plows there are no chains there, there are no, nothing but dad decided we needed to go to church that sunday morning and so we got out same type of thing yeah uh-huh. same same type of thing he was going to go no matter what and so we went and, and i was in agreement if we could go we should and the first thing we did after we got out on the road was the, the car wouldn't stay on the road and it slipped off almost into the ditch and we had to stop and we all got out and kind of nudged it back up on the road. And after that happened about the third time, he finally said, maybe we better go home. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Just <laughs> maybe we better go too, home. Too much going, too much going on. Right? Yeah. Right. So, but it, he was, it happens <laughs> that way with people. But anyway, we're glad that you're listening today. Let me give you the numbers again. 772 772- Three four zero fifteen ninety is how you reach us. Seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety is how you reach us here in Port St. Lucie. By call, we'll put you right to the front of the line when you do that. And here are the ground rules. Number one, uh, you can bring up any subject you'd like to talk about. You don't have to worry if you're not a believer, you're not a religious person. We'd be glad to have you call. Would would love that, and we're not going to take advantage of you. Or this show is not about getting the best of somebody and all those kind of things. It's about having a discussion. So if you've got something that you think is contrary to say, fire away. That's fine. We'd be glad to hear from you. Seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety. But on the other hand, but when you call in, you have to realize we're on a slight delay. And we could possibly talk over each other. So we're going to watch that. It's certainly not intentional, but it happens. 
uh, especially with someone like me who is a uh, quick responder too fast sometimes. So I apologize for that. And then the other thing is we'll give you the last word. We'll let you have the the word so that you can um, uh, you don't feel like we're taking advantage of you in some way, that kind of thing. So in any event, um, we'll be glad to have you call in and reach us. Now, you can also reach us by text message. Uh, by um, call by calling well my number Mike's is seven seven two two six zero six one two zero seven seven two two six zero six one two zero and then Gary's text number is seven seven two two six zero six two two zero that's his that's his number. So you can reach us by text message and that'll work during the show. We'll try to respond to those during the show if we possibly can. And uh, you can also, you know, you can email us at, at I'm sorry, Gary, I got something else on my brain here. Uh, you can email the show at justchristians at att.net. Justchristians at att.net is how you reach the show. Now, um, you can also listen to this show all over the world by going to WPSL.com and click on the Listen Live button. And anybody, all your friends and neighbors, wherever they are, if, you, if you're not at home, you can listen to the show by going to the Listen Live button and so forth. We'll talk about some more ways to reach us in just a few minutes. You know, Gary, I, I read something, and I know you've got something to talk about later, so I don't this oh. won't necessarily take up too long. But and it's probably a term that m most of our listeners are not familiar with. But let me read the headline. Um, Ray Kurzweil predicts the singularity by 2045. Now, that's an odd headline, except this quote, the, the word singularity is in quotes. And what the singularity is, Gary, is what they're trying to say and the way it's used here. It means a oneness of all the world, all knowledge, all of human experience, all the people of the world will be one entity, as it were, the singularity. It was the first time I ever heard this word singularity was applied to what the universe was like at the moment before the Big Bang. That everything yeah, I was, in the I was thinking, universe is compressed into something infinitesimally small at one point in time or one point when time began. And that's how it was used. So right. think of this now in terms of humankind now, of human yeah. beings and my, knowledge. My first thought was the a astronomical term. Yes, and, and that's how it's generally uh, would you be most familiar with it. I figured you, you figured you were and maybe some others. But on the other hand, um, a lot of people maybe have never even heard of this word before. Now, I would tell you that this is certainly something that is um, what pe people actually people actually know more about this than they think they do, because it's the thing that has been put before the world so much in various forms. A lot of these so-called philosophical ideas that ha that are in the world. They, they're they're out there. The philosophers talk of them in one way, but over time they begin to percolate down through all of society down into the common man. And this idea that you've been hearing the last few years of like a global world order or the new new world order, now a global wor world order where we have a central government that defines what everybody is going to do around the whole world. This is a part of this this concept of the singularity. One of, one of the ways they've been trying for almost a century to accomplish this is first the League of Nations and then the United Nations. Right. This is a part of that whole concept, concept. of if we yes. could just if we, we could just have a central government, all of our problems would disappear and they could keep they could keep everybody in line and everything would be peaceful. And that's why one particular party has been had the objective of basically making the United Nations superior to our own nation. Well, there's a reason for that, and that's because uh, you because when you stop believing in a divine being, God, who is in control of the whole thing, then 
humans have to be in control of the whole thing and they have to control it for everybody else. So you're much more likely if you're a secular person, this can be shown, demonstrated by surveys, sociological studies, that you're much more likely to believe in a one world government if you are a non-religious person, because that's the only way you can perceive that everything should be done. Now, now as a where I want to, oh, we got a phone call coming in, so let me postpone this quickly. But where I would go with this, uh, just one comment: Genesis three and Genesis ten. Uh, we'll just, go there in just a minute. Go the ahead. Tower of Babel, when yes. God separated everybody, yeah. that's what His intent was. That's what I thought of immediately when I read this article. So let's uh, let's go to the phones, and we'll we'll talk to Jerry first. Are you there, Jerry? Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jerry. Uh, I was wondering, uh, you just briefly touched on annulment last week, and I just wondered if the opposite of annulment is excommunication, uh, EX uh, excommunication, and uh, I just wonder if you can somehow tie that into the ecumenical council. Did they change her view on that, or uh, to your knowledge, uh, annulment and the opposite being excommunication? And uh, I'd like to listen to Raphael, Mike, if that's okay. That's fine, Jerry. I appreciate you calling today. Well, first of all, uh, and uh, Gary, I don't know what he thinks about it. I don't think linguistically or word-wise that annulment and excommunication are related terms particularly. And annulment uh, annulment is like tradition. it never happened. Right. Say, it and never happened. says this marriage never really happened. It it been annulled. We wrote it down in a book as if it were real, but now that the, all the facts are known, we know it's not real. And this happens in the legal sense and even in human sense. Sometimes we think something is one way, but we realize it's not that way. So we have to annul our memory and say, well, no, that never really happened that way or never really existed, as it were. So that usually has to do with marriages, and that's another whole subject. Uh, then, but excommunication is more of the idea that uh, the church stops having fellowship or rec- recognizing someone as a Christian or a faithful member of the Catholic Church. We'll, we'll use it first where it's most common. It's in, used commonly in the Catholic religion, uh, and it certainly applies to Protestant Christianity. And I know that although they don't use this word, I know that Muslims use the idea of excommunication. When you stop yes. being a Muslim, of course, it usually means to the to most Muslims a sentence of death to stop being a Muslim um, p- pronounced by somebody and you, they issue a fatwa against you and so forth. We've seen this over the last few years. But excommunication is based on the idea that in order to get to God, in order to have any connection to God, you have to go through the, the sacraments of the Catholic Church. And so once you're taking the sacraments of the Catholic Church in various ways, including um, what we would call communion or the mass and so forth, then you are in communication with God because the church puts you in communication with God, stands between you and God. And uh, the Pope and all the bishops and priests kind of stand there in the place of God on earth and communicate and they stand between you and God. And once they determine on some for some basis that you are not faithful and you are against the church, then they can take the procedures necessary to excommunicate you from the church. That's why, for example, as an example, and I don't want to get sidetracked into this issue, but for example, some bishops and other people are calling for people like Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden to be dis- excommunicated from the church because of their support for abortion. And uh, that is against the that is against the teaching of the Catholic Church abortion is. And so are some other things that they support, homosexual marriage and all those things, since they support those things publicly and and, uh, encourage people to practice them in some way. A lot of the bishops, more conservative bishops, say they should be excommunicated from the church. Probably wouldn't be that that is important, except that those people are claiming to be good Catholics. Right. They campaign on that. Yes. Good Catholics. They are. Yes. Talk about their faith. And yet they. And so that's why this is happening. Now, 
aside from that, that which all of that, now you're getting into politics. No, I'm just stating that, that this is where this inner, this is where you'll hear this term and see this in common society. Now, does the Bible teach that people can or should be excommunicated? Uh, well, in some ways it does, but not in the same way that the Catholic Church would teach that it's that of excommunication. The We're Bible does not First Corinthians teach five. Yes, that was okay. going first. Yeah. The Bible does not teach that the only way you and I can have a relationship with God is through the sacraments of the Catholic Church. The Bible does not teach that. We have a relationship with Christ because of Jesus. We have a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. He, according to Paul and First Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man, himself man, Jesus Christ, one mediator. Mary is not a mediator, a mediatrix. The Catholic Church calls her capital M mediatrix. And then they call um, they call uh, Christ a mediator. All right. Well, we have another phone call. We have Laura. I don't want to. Uh, I might have missed Laura before. So, Laura, are you there? No. I just now uh, saw your name pop like up. Hey, Carrie. What's that? Um, How are you doing? I don't know. I was listening to you, and, and I know that. The Catholic Church quit excommuting people eons ago. Quit excommunicating people? Away with. And we renew our relationship with Christ constantly, and it is intimate, and it is personal, and it requires nobody else in the middle. So I'm just trying to figure out where you're learning these things. Well, if that's if that's true, if the Catholic Church is now teaching, okay, Laura, go ahead, say it, say that again. We read the Bible. We don't excommunicate anybody. We believe that Jesus is Lord through the glory of God the Father. We don't need anybody else in the middle, and we corporately worship together. They don't now, now, that may be what you believe, but that is not the official teaching. She's, she's, not, she's not done. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What did you just say the last part? That is an old, stale teaching. Well, now, look, if the Catholic Church once taught that doctrine, and they are the unchanging church, the first original unchanging church, how is it that they now teach something different? It's only unchanging in the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived 33 and a half years on this earth, died, and was resurrected, and ascended into heaven, and he's coming back for us. That's the only thing that unchanges in that church. Okay. Let me read. I just... I, I believe that this is what you believe, Laura, about the Catholic Church, and that's that's admirable and good, but I don't think it's the official position of the Catholic Church. For example, uh, it says here, and I'm reading Wikipedia, and there's a long article about this, excommunication in the Latin church is governed by the 1983 Code of Canon Law. And it specifies various sins which carry the penalty of automatic excommunication, apostasy, heresy, schism, violating the sacred species, and physically attacking the Pope. And it lists several other things. And uh, there's a whole big long article about how this doctrine of excommunication is administered, and it's from 1983. It isn't something back from the Middle Ages. And, uh, is not a credible source. Well, what this person may be. Okay, so I, I'll just take a minute and go back and look at. Credible source. So you're saying that this person who wrote this is. Uh, let me see if I can find something on. Here's the Catholic Encyclopedia. I don't know how credible they are, but let's see what the Catholic Encyclopedia says about it. Um Yeah, I'm excommunication, the severest print, the, the principal and severest censure is a medicinal spiritual penalty that deprives the guilty of Christian all participation in the common blessings 
of the church society. Being a penalty, it supposes guilt and so forth, and it goes on to uh, list all of these rules about excommunication here. The church has the right to excommunicate people from it, it says, and so forth. It, it lists all of the things here in the Catholic Encyclopedia about excommunication, including it's the abuses of excommunication, which are there. So I, I'm, I'm not questioning you, Laura. I'm just questioning the idea that this is not an official teaching of the Catholic Church. I have uncovered so much untruth about what people learn about the Catholic Church. That may be, but I'm I'm trying to... No matter where you corporately worship or what the church teaches in a whole, as long as you believe in who Jesus is and what God did and that there is a Holy Spirit, Okay, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The church, that all sounds good, except the church, the Catholic Church doesn't believe that or teach that. Most of us pay no attention, and they've never seen a priest in all my years excommunicate anybody. Well, that may be, but you can read about the official doctrine of the Catholic Church in many places. Whether you like the Wikipedia or not, you can read on about it in many places and How and professors in regular colleges tell you wikipedia is not a credible source okay I well i just read you from the catholic encyclopedia 2020 and we were never allowed to cite them is is the catholic encyclopedia a good source depends what year it is you know, we had Vatican II and so much change. Well, well now, see, here's the thing. See, I, once again, let's go back to this issue. Anymore. We call them pastors. Every human being, which is what everybody is, no matter where you serve in a church, has errors and faults, and we're allowed to correct them by trial and error. Why does any other human being think they have the right to open their mouth against anybody else that believes in Jesus as Lord. This is the war the enemy started that people continue to fuel. Okay. Laura, what you're saying uh, now is not Catholic teaching. Okay. And, and it, it, it presents a problem to you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Not the Catholic Church I know and love. I know. I don't see any of that. Okay. Gary wants to say something here. Uh, Laura, what is your documented source for this? It's the Holy Scriptures. It's okay, so so you're I, looking to the Scriptures. Talking to my brothers and sisters in Christ before Mass and after Mass, nobody's been through this. There are, well, that doesn't mean it's not a doctrine just because it's not practiced, if, uh, at least in modern times. It, it, it is a doctrine, whether whether Catholics believe it or not. That doesn't hold our past sins against us. When did we ever have to become faultless? Okay. So, no, what, Laura, you're missing the point I'm making about this originally. Just a second. Let me say this, that the Catholic Church makes a bold claim in all their writings and all the teaching that they are the true unchanging church that has never changed since the first century. And yet you're telling me that you believe that they've changed. So something happened here. Either they change or they don't change. And I can quote the bishops and all the popes talking about this. The change of Jesus and who God the Father is and who Jesus the Savior is and who the Holy Spirit is. If you open your 66-book Bible, which somewhere down the line, six or seven books were omitted out of the Protestant Bible um, from the Catholic Bible. And well, the Jews don't admit those books either. So When Jesus, Jesus gave Mary to John when he was on the cross, he said, here is your mother. 
Let, let me ask you a question, Laura. In in the scripture, and you're you're looking to the scripture. Are there times in the scripture when, because of unrepentant sin, serious unrepentant sin, that Christians should withdraw contact and and communication with other Christians? I would think that's a personal reflection. Excuse me, please say that again. That is a personal reflection. I don't believe any human being has the right to unallow any other human being in any place of worship on any given point. That is between them and God. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, listen, since you, and I think what Gary is saying is this, since you, uh, we're not going to argue anymore about what Catholic Church teaches, but I think it's, if you look it up, you'll see that it's clear what they have taught. And so either something changed or they're not teaching that, you know, uh, I'm not disagree. Personally, what Gary's getting at is he and I are not disagreeing that there is a form of excommunication in the New Testament. It isn't how the Catholic Church practices it or for the same reasons. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And you're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I, indeed, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh and his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells him to purge out the old leaven of this man. So he says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or else you'd need to go out of the world. But now I've written not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even not even to eat with such a person. Now, that is a form of what some might call excommunication there, where he says because of immorality and covetousness and idolatry, you're not even to keep company with Christians who practice these things. Now, you said, Lord, and, and he says, remove him from among you, meaning from the assembly of the church, remove this person from among you. And you said, Laura, you were appealing to the scripture for what we should do. Here's the scripture. So so that's that's one of them anyway. There's a couple of others like this. Yes. Now, yeah. the, the point I'm making is this was done by the whole assembly, not by a particular pope or a priest or something like that. And it isn't done just because somebody disagrees with some teaching. This is about immoral behavior. Uh, among Christians that can be seen that can be and seen and, and objectively judged in that sense. Um, so the, I, I, I appreciate that you say that you want to follow the Bible because that's exactly what we teach on this program. Uh, but I, I think there's a distinction between what different denominations teach and what the Bible teaches about lots of subjects. That's the hard part about it, is we'd all like to think that everybody wants to do exactly what the Bible says and do what's right, but they don't. That's the hard part about it. Yes. You know, and all of us have loved ones, family members, friends who we love, who won't do what they should do. And so we have to think carefully about that. All right. Anyway, go, go ahead and finish up here, Laura, because we got another phone call. What would you, Let me let you have the last word. Oh, no, 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 that was that was fine. I mean, if it's blatant, it's blatant, and they need to go and re-examine themselves. But should they repent and confess their sin to God and their changed behavior, that individual should be more than welcome back in to the family of faith. Well, I think they should change their behavior. That was the very idea of 1 Corinthians 5, that you, you, you show this person that you don't, you're not going to put up with it. Time frame. Yeah, what? time but people struggle with things. I, I couldn't quite catch what you said about a time frame. It's, it's mean, between them and God. 
Well, it's, it is it is between them and God, but it's also between them and their brothers and sisters on the earth. There's a two way relationship in being a Christian. One of the one one part of the relationship of being a Christian points to God. The other points to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I can't do just whatever I want to on the earth and say, well, that's between me and God, because it's between my brothers and my sisters and me and sometimes a husband and a wife. And so there's more more at stake than just. My personal feelings about God. Gary's going to say something, and then we're going to have to go to the caller. Go to the phone, but go ahead, Gary. I'm going to say one more thing. Not only is it a relationship between you and God personally, but a relationship between you and your brothers. But there also are impacts on how the world sees God when they see people professing as Christians to be doing these things that we teach are wrong. They see us all as hypocrites. Therefore, they see God as a hypocrite, and that's where our responsibility lies for something like this. And that's why Paul mentions that. And that's why Paul mentions that. Among the Gentiles, he says. So, So, okay. Well, anyway, uh, you get, uh, Laura, we appreciate you calling. You call back and. um, uh, Have a great day. You you too. I really appreciate your thoughts and calling in. Thanks a lot. All right. Um, I think Ken is. we're going to take Ken's call in a couple of minutes, so hang on. We're, we're not ready to take his call, but hang on there, Ken, if you're on the line. We appreciate that. You know, this this call brings up several things that are integral to this program and to the point that we're trying to make here in various ways. And, uh, and that is that, well, what I think, Gary, is true. I think it's true that a lot of American people, Christians, and maybe this is true around the world, who are part of various denominations, and I'm going to throw the Catholic Church in denomination, even though I know that they're not Protestant, but different denominations, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, and they're Catholic. you got all these different groups that claim to be pieces of the body of Christ. And a lot of the people that are there in those organizations, in those groups, love to follow the want to follow the Bible. They say they love the Bible and they believe in some way they're practicing what the Bible says. And but that's where we're coming from. The truth is when you read the creeds and the documents and hear the teaching of these various organizations, you find out they're not it is not exact what the Bible says. It's been based upon something else. It's a it's a it's a doctrine of man. Right. And so therefore, that's why we keep taking people back to what the scriptures say as much as we possibly can with our own limitations and recognizing those back to what does the text say? And yet people say, well, now now that they hear the text, they're likely to say, well, yeah, that's what I believe. But that's not what the church that you belong to believes. And you can go ask them what you know, what they believe, and you'll find out that they don't believe what you say they believe. They believe something else. That's all I'm, I'm not trying to attack the Catholic Church by reading what Catholic writers say about it. All I'm doing when I was reading those articles, the guy that wrote the article in Wikipedia is a Catholic, from what I can tell, and so are the people that, the other article from the Catholic Encyclopedia. These are Catholics, this is what they say about it. It's not me and Gary making up some lie to tell about them. Now, you may not agree with that. Well, then maybe you need to think about your relationship to the Catholic Church. Maybe you should think about that or at least reevaluate your. So that's the that's kind of what the point shows about a little bit. Go ahead. Gary. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm trying to say. We, we quote John 12, 48. Jesus says the word that I've spoken will judge him in the last day or judge you judge us in the last day. And that's what we're trying to get back to. Uh, the only thing I'd like to say, Mike, is basically rather than excommunication, I think what we're discussing in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5 and following, is uh, generally among the denominations called withdrawal, that yes. the church will withdraw yeah. fellowship from someone. And this is and this is what is described in the text, okay, which would make it accurate as follows following following scripture and that's why i was saying that we don't use the term excommunication there's some but there are similarities so i can say that the entire concept of the catholic church saying you're you've gone beyond the bounds of a faithful christian we're gonna we're gonna uh stop you from being a, a member of this catholic church i don't think that concept in a broad way is incorrect 
but the way who does it and why it's done and all and that how it's is done. incorrect. Okay. Now then, when you go to places like, um, um, I, I, I'm my brain is locked up here thinking about I got about three different things going on, Gary. But um, there, there's two or three other passages that need to be talked about because there's two or three words. You Galatians the six, word, Galatians six would, one is is Galatians six one one. It's one thinking. of them, I think. Yes, go ahead. You read that. I'm looking up something else. Brethren, if a man is overtaking in trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's one of them that I was thinking of, Mike. Right. Well, all right. Well, Ken's on the line. Let's Let, go there. Yeah, and then we'll we need to take to the calls. Go ahead, Ken. we got an abundance of calls today. How are you doing? What's that? Can you hear me? I can. Go ahead. Okay. Um, um, I'm not going to get into the the Catholic thing in another. Okay. Another su- change the subject then. Bible and and follow the Bible. Period. Uh, I'm calling to let you know that uh, when I come this morning to Bible study, I'm going to bring ten copies of why Jesus was born in September and biblical evidence for him. Okay. In, in, in Luke. Uh, and I'm going to give, I'm going to give, somebody asked me for, for the, my notes on this. So I decided to make 10 copies in case other people Is this something to. that you wrote, Ken? Yeah, it, it, it's basically from the from the book of Luke. Okay. It shows that it shows that Jesus was conceived in December and born in September. That, that's that's prop. That's kind of what I believe is true from my study of this, and it might coincide with a lot of what you're saying here. That we've got things kind of switched around don't we as far as um, the the birthday I think his conception was around the time we call Christmas what's that the the um, and for those who are not familiar with this we've talked about this on this show a couple of times but this time of People celebrating December as the birthday of Christ is coming up here again. Seems like it comes up rap- more rapidly every year. But uh, the idea from the birth of John the Baptist, who was six months y- older than, than Jesus, is that would have placed Jesus' conception based on the time that John the Baptist's father was serving in the temple and so forth, more along, more in September around the Feast of Tabernacles. Is that about right, Ken? That's correct. And then that would make his birth. More than that. I'm sorry, say that again. Jesus was conceived in December. Okay. And and the Bible tells it's evidence from the Bible. And then Jesus was born uh, on the Feast of Tabernacles on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. That's important because it's an eight-day feast. And he's circumcised on the eighth day. Right, right. And so there, there's this. It's a, it's a switching. Now there's still no indication of any kind of yearly, yearly observance of this in the New Testament. But the dates are wrong, and so Jesus was not born in December, but conceived in December. Then you add the, the nine months, and you come up with he was born in um, September. And so uh, about when September fifteenth or so. Background on Hanukkah. Hanukkah yeah, it was feast of the Lord. Feast of Tabernacles, yeah. Right. Hanukkah, Hanukkah is a feast of the Jews. It's a celebration of the feast of Tabernacles. Okay. All right. And so there's this whole misconception, and people can go and find out if they want to look into it. When 
holiday of Christmas came about and how that it did not really have much evidence or almost no evidence whatsoever in the Bible that Jesus was born in December. It more corresponded to the timing of different pagan feasts and so forth. There might be some people, but it really had very little to do with the text of the Bible. Whereas what Ken is saying here, and I, I, I haven't read what you've written about it, I would more agree with that there's some textual evidence for a September birth of Jesus Christ and so forth in the Bible than there is a December birth of Christ. Now, in either event, doesn't tell us to have a big holiday about it and all that stuff, but um, that's what that's what's interesting. And people get so hung up on this idea of a holiday that they forget the real thing every week that you're supposed to be doing. It, it's a little bit like we talked. I think it was last week we talked about this just briefly that that people and so many females especially are focused on the wedding and then they undermine their marriage. So we're so focused on the birthday of Christ that we forget under, the day. We've underlined his, his, his accomplishments. Yes, what really is the important thing that's long-lasting, and we, we get so hung up on the yearly celebration of a birth because we all like babies and, you know, whatnot. So, it, it, but the Bible doesn't tell us anything about that. It, it puts the focus on his death and resurrection, not on his birth, although the birth is important. But as far as what we're supposed to do about it, it puts the emphasis on his death and resurrection. I can't. I've talked too much. What do you want to say more about this? Okay. The only other thing I'm going to say is if any of your listeners are interested in getting a copy of this, they can email me at my email address, Kenneth underscore Hayden at bellsouth.net, and I'll send them a free copy. Kenneth dot Hayden. Uh, Excuse under, me, Kenneth uh, underscore Hayden. H-A-Y-D-E-N at yeah. bellsouth.net? Yep. Okay. Uh, and I'll, I want to get a copy of that, too. Kenneth underscore oh, Hayden yeah. at bellsouth.net. I'm sure it's interesting reading and certainly thought-provoking. This is such a thought-provoking thing for most people. Is Kenneth Hayden all lowercase? Yeah. You know, the, here's the here's the thing. It's interesting to me sometimes about this stuff, Ken. And being a, I'm I'm not sure what you would call it, uh, being called an iconoclast before, which means a breaker of idols, someone who goes around smashing idols. I don't really view myself that way, but um, challenging what is commonly thought, challenging ideas. Yeah, that's that's what we should be doing. But this is interesting to me. The reaction that people have, though, is what's really interesting. Some people just going to put their fingers in their ears. They don't want to hear anything that might challenge their love of Christmas or their devotion to Christmas or Easter uh, celebration. They don't want to hear anything. Particularly their challenge that. Particularly their view of Christmas. Right. And so they're going to sh- close up their ears. Now then. There are other people are going to, you know, defend and they're going to pull the authority thing. Well, who are you to challenge 1900 years of church history? Well, for one thing, Christmas doesn't go back 1900 years. It's only it, Christmas is almost a North American Protestant type of holiday. Uh, there was some vestiges of this in Europe, but it became popular in the United States in the 17 and 1800s, not way back at the beginning of, of Christian history. It was a minor thing. So, but they're going to say, well, you got to support tradition. They're, 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 they like, and so since it, it's really this religious divide, you're either going to try to take the text of the Bible and form a religion around that as closely as you can, or you're going to go and do what you feel like you want to do, what makes you feel good or what you feel like ought to be. And there, that's going to involve a lot of interpolating, adding to, embellishing, uh, and, and justifying that over time. Now, this is the history of religion. It's the history of, the history of our Constitution is the same way, Gary. Instead of going back to the text, we want to embellish and change and improve it all the way along the line. And then you end up with something that doesn't even look like the Constitution. 
and I'm not trying to get into politics. I'm saying there's just two attitudes about it. And there are two attitudes about the text of the Bible and religion. And one is not as pleasing to, to many humans as the other. They'd rather have it their way. This is the Burger King thing. Have it your way. <laughs> now, that's a challenging idea, and I don't mean to sound cynical, but we need to think about that. Well, don't you think, Gary? Yeah, cynicism has been around for a long time, Matt. My God. My cynicism. Yeah, me being – you're calling me a cynic? No, no. but I, what I'm saying is – I am that, a cynic. Go ahead. There are people out there, like you said, that will stop their ears. And when you said that, it reminded me of Scripture. It says in Acts chapter 7, talking about Stephen – he says, starts in 51, he, he, he'd read them all this list of the things that Israel had done wrong throughout the ages. And he finally says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your father did so, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers. You have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. What a sad statement. Right. Yes, they, they didn't want to keep. But it's um, so I'm going to encourage everybody to, even though I haven't read it yet, take Ken up on his offer to for his his PDF or whatever is on, on the birth of Christ when it was. Read it and challenge your thinking. Do some digging into what the Bible says and then decide what it means and keep learning. Uh, so once again. I'm giving out your email address more than mine, Ken, but Kenneth underscore Hayden, H-A-Y-D-E-N at bellsouth.net. And that's because um, I'm, I'm sure Ken has spent some time on this. It's a challenge. It's an interesting topic and a challenging topic. And so uh, I think I've spoken about this in sermons or classes a few times, but I can't point to one specific I think I have a sermon recently on Christmas. I'll have to look it up in, on the website here in a minute and see what, if I can point to somebody like that. But anyway, Ken, do you want to say any more about this? Yeah, let me mention one other thing about Hanukkah. Uh, the, uh, the Israelites, the Maccabees, were fighting the Romans during the Feast of Tabernacles. They couldn't celebrate. I think they were fighting the, the Greeks. Greeks. Yeah, they delayed it until December, and they had to rededicate the temple, which took eight days. That's why you have the menorah. Right. So, yeah, they were fighting the. Uh, they were fighting the Greeks. The Romans had that's, come. That's not that, the main that, point. That, that's not the main point. And so, rather than being able to keep it in September like they normally would, they followed the same kind of a pattern of those who could not take the Passover at one day, and Moses said you could take it a month later, and so forth. So they they took it. They were able to take it in December, and so they they kept the feast in December, and that's where we get the idea of Hanukkah. And the dedication of the temple, supposedly a miracle occurred in lighting the lamps and so forth. There's two major ceremonies during the Feast of Tabernacles. One is a water pouring ceremony, and the other one is a, uh, uh, almost a, you'd call it a light show. They build huge menorahs. There's a big uh, pots of oil and made menorahs and let the whole countryside up and they used old priestly garments for the wicks for these lights and those priestly garments are called swaddling clothes so that's where the idea of swaddling comes in the Christ was wrapped right. in the swaddling Jesus was wrapped in old priestly garments in swaddling clothes. The old priestly garments. Okay. During the Feast of Tabernacles. I've heard that mentioned, but I've never really studied that too much. I did look it up. Um, and it's it's almost like a prophecy, isn't it, about what he would yeah. be as the priest? Both, both, both are eight days. Tabernacles, eight days. Yes. Now, the idea of swaddling 
is the way the word is used is probably it's more used generically of the idea to wrap or to clothe. So the baby was wrapped up in these garments, it's, but it was also used of the priest's garments in that term of wrapping up or uh, or clothing the priest with his special garments. So you have the words being related to one another there. And um, yeah, there, this just goes to show that there's just no there's just no mention of some kind of a yearly celebration. And if, let's put it this way, Ken, if God wanted us to know the day of the year when Christ was born, even in Jewish terms, he would have told us what that was. If it was important, because First Timothy, Second uh, Timothy 3 says, he gave us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, you either believe that or you don't. So if he didn't give us the date when Christ was born, the day of the year, then it's not one of the things that pertains to life and godliness for us to know or to, to keep a track of. And so we have to understand that human beings, because of their interest, not God's interest, their interest in these things, have decided to make this a holiday, and therefore they have to extrapolate and distort. I mean, everywhere you go, you're going to see pictures and images of of the three wise men at the manger, when the Bible says the three wise men came to the house uh, probably two years later, and that's why Herod had the babies under two years old killed. So, I mean, the it, the Bible isn't silent about that, but it certainly doesn't picture three wise men, no less, at a manger. And yet that's the image of Christmas to people because it makes us feel good. Um, and what so, did Jesus tell us to remember? What's that? What did Jesus tell us to remember? His death, right? His, death. His sacrificial death. Yeah. This do in remembrance of me. me. That wasn't spoken about Christmas. No, it was spoken, spoken about the, the new covenant, the crucifixion. Right. Crucifixion. But I death doesn't make quite as good a holiday. They don't, Jews don't celebrate birthdays much. They don't celebrate many birthdays, you said? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I did not realize that. They remember when the relative died. That, that's what they remember. So they kind of inadvertently follow Jesus' custom of celebrating a death rather than a birth, huh? Yeah. Now, we shouldn't minimize the fact that when Jesus was born, the angels came down and announced his birth to the shepherds and so forth, and it was... They were singing glory to God in the highest. And the incarnation, the Christ coming in the flesh, is a huge cosmological and spiritual event. I mean, it is un, it is unbelievably important. So I'm not minimizing that part. I'm only talking about what the Bible says to do about that truth, you see. And, it was and supposed to be a joyful occasion. It is definitely a joyful occasion, and it was then— uh, and only a few people recognized it as being such at that point in time, including, as you figure out, these uh, pagan astrologers knew what the signs meant somehow. Well, well it, magi, magi. It, it still impresses me about God's sense of humor. In, <laughs> in, in, in fact, we want to celebrate his birth and Christmas, and yet probably were doing something very close to his conception, which as far as Jesus, yeah. as far as God was concerned, once the conception started, every, every that, plan was going. It was, the conception is the incarnation, it's not the birth. Person. Yes. People will still talk about the incarnation. They link it to Jesus' birth. Jesus became flesh at the time the Holy Spirit covered Mary and she became pregnant, as it yes. were, with Christ. That's the incarnation when the Spirit became flesh. Now, that point was debated by uh, ancient Christians and so forth, but uh, that's what we know is actually true uh, in this case. It does case. speak to the idea of abortion, too, in some, in some ways. What's that? It, uh, I think it speaks well, to the idea of abortion. Well, it, it, when <laughs> it does. And you can read about, I have a sermon on that about abortion. I forgot the exact name of it. Now you can, it's recently, you can look it up in the last year or so about the embryo, the John the Baptist before he was born and Mary calls what's in her womb, a babe. 
okay? And it's the same word used later for when Jesus was actually born an infant and the other infants that were killed. It's exactly the same word the Holy Spirit uses to talk about both John the Baptist and Jesus before they were born, you see. So that that's a it's it's incontrovertible what the Bible says what we whether we should respect life. But you're right, Holy Spirit has it's interesting we celebrate Christmas when it was probably more the And th- and that was the that was the important thing to God, not to us. That that was the Right. Right. Well Ken, do you want to finish this topic out here? Uh no, no, I'm done. I'll see you here in a little bit. All right, thank you, and I appreciate you calling in today. Yeah, Ken, uh, Ken attends Bible study here with us uh, on Sundays, and we appreciate that very much. I think he found us here through this radio program, and uh, we're certainly thankful for that. But we'd like to invite all of you who are listening to do the same thing. We have uh, interactive, as you would call them, Bible studies at 10 o'clock, well, sometimes they don't get started until 10 after because of this radio show. 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, an adult Bible class, which you're, will, which you're certainly uh, welcome to participate in. We're 10, o'clock, 10 o'clock is the target. 10 o'clock is the target. We get, usually get started a few minutes late, but try to be here around 10. And we, we're studying how to study the Bible, a very hands-on approach to the text right now. And that'll continue for a little while. And then at 11 o'clock, we have our regular worship time where we have singing, uh, we have prayer, the Lord's Supper, communion, and then preaching also at that hour at 11 for about an hour, hour and 10 minutes or something like that. And we'd like to invite all of you to come to that. We have Bible study again for adults and children at 730 on Wednesday night. On Sunday morning and Wednesday night for our Bible studies, there are separate children's classes for various ages that you're just following a Bible-based curriculum back there. And then uh, we have our adult classes in the main auditorium. Gary teaches Wednesday night. I teach Sunday morning right now. That varies from time to time. And so we'd like to invite you. We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. Uh, That's at the corner of of Savona in California on the southwest side behind the little shopping center there is where we are. Nice bright yellow building with a bright metal roof on it. Just put a new roof on and we're thankful for that. But anyway, you can find us there at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. We'd love to have you. We're not going to ask you for money when you come. We're we're not going to single you out and embarrass you in any way you can come and you can either participate or you can sit and observe but uh, we'd invite you to do that bring your family no you're just going to find ordinary people here worshiping as simply as we can according to the bible and uh, we'd love to have you the difference you're going to find is these people that meet here generally love the word of god I right. believe. They, they love the word and they're trying to learn and we're just all growing together so that's what you want then you, you can find here we'd like to invite you to come and take a look um at 2196 southwest savona boulevard well anyway gary um appreciate those who have called we love having people call in and uh, anybody who else wants to participate you can either text or call in this morning uh 772 772- Three four zero fifteen. I think I got one or two minutes left. Might not be able to get have a long call, but I want to go back a little bit to this singularity. You might have to do this next week a little bit. The idea you that he's saying here he predicts that because of artificial intelligence, this guy Kurzweil is one of the real big shots in artificial intelligence. Uh, he is what called a computer scientist, a futurist, the top Google engineer. And the greatest prophet of AI ever to span the mainstream academic and tech world, according to this article. Wow, what a mouthful. Yes, sir. Ray Kurzweil. And uh, he says that by 2045, we're going to reach a singularity. By 2029, uh, he says you're not going to be able to distinguish AI from human interaction by 2029, artificial intelligence uh, and so forth. And so he says that. Humans and AI are going to go into the future together. It's going to be a beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful relationship. How they, we're going to evolve together 
AI and human beings, and it's going to be the greatest thing you can ever imagine. I'm just kind of summarizing this article. And he says they're going to, medicine's going to merge with AI. It will progress exponentially, potentially help us solve every possible human disease. We're going to reach, by 2029, longevity escape velocity. Not sure how that's going to happen. But in any event, we're going to have to stop today. We're going to come back that, to that next week. And we do want to invite you to our services. We'd like you to take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. And we hope that you'll take a look there. You can find, if you want to find out what, what we've taught about Christmas and holidays, go to that website, search for the birth of Jesus, search for, you know, uh, Christmas, and you'll find some things to look to to talk about there. So thanks for listening today. We really appreciate it. Tune in again next week and may God bless you.